episode 36 of the Guns and Yoga podcast. My name is Wendy Hummel. Today I share a conversation I had with Scott Medlin, a United States Marine veteran and law enforcement veteran. Scott discusses his difficult decision to leave full-time law enforcement in 2020 to save his family. His over-identification with the job led him to work part-time jobs when he didn't even need the cash. It was at that time that Scott began his journey to inspire and encourage police officers to focus on their personal well-being in order to better survive the career and better serve the public. Scott discusses his struggle with post-traumatic stress, addiction, and depression, and how an observation by his parents after returning from Iraq prompted him to get help. He discusses NLP, or Neuro Linguistic Programming Therapy, which he credits as a big part in his healing. Scott is also a podcast host, author, speaker, and trainer. So check out the link in the show notes for more information. I spoke with Scott a while back, and I'm glad to finally be able to share it. Full disclosure between full-time work obligations and family and my coaching and retreat business, the podcast has had to take a backseat these past few months, which has really been kind of hard. I recently read something that that hit home. It said, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Okay, universe, I hear you. I have a passion, which I realize is my purpose, or as the yogis call it, dharma. And it's been this overarching theme in everything that I've been doing, to serve others by sharing the tools of holistic wellness. The avenues in which that happens are varied. My full-time work as a wellness coordinator, a health coach, a yoga instructor, a podcast host, content creator, and speaker. I am working to streamline my side hustles, but this podcast isn't going anywhere because serving the first responders is where my heart lies. In fact, I am more convinced than ever that a framework of support, connection, resources, and education is imperative in this culture. This work can be so tough at times. There are still so many who don't buy in, but I see evidence practically every day now, whether it's people that I know personally or through teaching, coaching, or podcasting, that we are so much better together and that it's never too late. We have some great ideas brewing here, so stay tuned for more. Now back to Scott. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Scott. He has so much to offer. Scott writes and teaches about topics such as getting through the police academy, a holistic approach to well-being, mental health, the warrior socialization of police officers, teamwork, and much more. Welcome to the show, Scott. Oh, thank you for having me on, Wendy. Yes, it's uh, it's really great to have you here. Uh, full disclosure to those who are listening, it's taking a little bit for us to to get this scheduled, and mostly because of me. <laughs> <laughs> but we're doing it. <laughs> we got it done. Yes, yes. Well, Scott, um, I I always start out when I have a guest on. I typically am interested, especially for those that are um, that are former law enforcement or current. Um, what led you to um, a career in service? You were you used to be. I, I shouldn't say ex marine. We already talked about me saying this properly. Uh, you served in the United States Marine Corps. How's that? <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Good. And then um, and then you were also a law enforcement officer for over a decade. 
when you were growing up, is this something that you always knew that you were going to do that you aspired to do or, or how, how did that path go for you? The first impression I got of wanting to be a police officer was one time when I was a little kid, I was in the garage in my mom's car waiting on her to take my brothers and I somewhere. I looked up the street and we had a small neighborhood and everyone knew each other. I looked up the street. There was a guy that didn't live in the neighborhood going door to door, but he was standing close to the doors when he would knock on the doors. He was looking in windows and it seemed suspicious. Like I, as an innocent little kid was like, something's not right here. I told my mom, she looked up the street. She got very concerned. She, and she said, I need to call the police. And I just remember thinking, I want them here to protect me. And I started noticing police officers as I was growing up in the city where I grew up. And I felt safe when they were in restaurants. I felt safe when they were at my school. And then I went to a high school career fair and the police officer representing the department where I, where I'd grown up in the city where, where I was living, he was there and I started talking to him. I was sold. My parents didn't agree with it, but I was sold. <laughs> That's pretty common. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the Marines came around about the time I was in high school when I did yard work for a retired Marine Corps colonel. And he said, hey, son, you ever thought about your future? <laughs> and he was just so impressive. I was, I was like, wow, I want to be like him, set myself up for a good future uh, and, and uh, how to survive. And, and if that means serving the country, then so be it, because I've always believed in being of service to the country. So how long did you serve in the United States Marine Corps? And then I'm assuming after that is when you became a police officer? Yes, ma'am. I didn't serve in the Marines that long at all. In fact, I was, I mean, I joke around that I was a nasty reservist, but I was activated twice to go to Iraq for Operation Iraqi Freedom mm -hmm. in 2003 and 2005. So, I mean, I almost spent half of my reserve time being on active duty. Yeah. When I got out, I finished college and then went into law enforcement in 2007 Okay. at, at, at the department for the city where I had grown up. And so just backing up a little bit, you, you explain what kind of led you to that desire to want to serve. Did anyone in your family, did you have any relatives or anybody who, who was in law enforcement or served in the military? Because sometimes that's the case with people. My grandfather had served in World War II. Mm -hmm. But other than that, no, there was not any family that, that comes to mind that did any service. And to go into law enforcement, that was something completely new to my family. Only did I find out when I got into law enforcement that my great-great-grandfather was a deputy sheriff for a few years. And my grandmother, God rest her soul, she passed away a little over a year ago. Mm -hmm. She made a custom, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, it was in a glass frame. She had his nightstick, his gun, his holster, his badge, his picture of him in uniform. This is all from the 20s, and she gave it to me as a gift when I started in law enforcement. It meant a lot. But other than so that, nice. yeah. other than that no, no family in law enforcement, no family in the Marines. I was, I was the first one. So I think it's called a shadow box, right? That's what you're – yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. At first, I couldn't think of it either. Well, you know, it's kind of funny you say that because no one in my family that I was aware of was in law enforcement, and I was always one of those people. I was about 12. And I knew that I wanted to be a cop from an early age. Mm -hmm. And I, I learned much later on that my grandfather, because when I was growing up, my grandfather 
uh, wasn't a police officer, but I learned that he was a New York City police officer for a decade. And it was wow. just kind of funny that it was kind of it kind of reminds me of, of what you just explained, too. So sometimes I wonder if it's just not in our blood and we don't know it. Yeah, very true. Very true. It's like that energy gets passed down. And then, uh, I mean, 10 years at New York P- or at NYPD, that's that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. OK, so you um, you got out of the Marine Corps, you were reservist and then uh, you served for how long as a police officer in the town you grew up in? From 2007 to leaving in August of 2020. So, I mean, okay. it, was, it was almost 13 solid years. Yep. So, you left pretty recently. I did. I did. And I work part-time now. Uh, but uh, I left because it was getting in the way of my family. I've got mm-hmm. two sons. They're very young. It was just getting too hectic at home. Sure. It was a very hard decision to leave. I really enjoyed working active in law enforcement. But they come first, and my boys come first. And I had heard too many veterans tell me that, well, one of them in particular, when he was about to retire, he said, I'm going to be spending a lot of time with my grandchildren because I missed my kids growing up because of the job. Mm-hmm. And then another veteran that I know, he's about to retire. He told me, he said, you, you see your sons, you see them, you be with them because my son's graduating high school. And I just realized I missed it because I was too busy at the police department. Now, I'm not saying that anyone who stays in law enforcement has kids is, is a bad parent. Absolutely not. It's just for our family situation, it wasn't working out anymore. And I had to make that decision for them. You know, and that's really admirable because this is, this is something that, you know, it, it, at the agency that I'm currently at, the agency I retired from, mm-hmm. this is such a, a big topic right now. There's so many people leaving law enforcement for so many different reasons but there are you're not the first person that I have heard say that that's the reason um, because people are becoming more aware of where their priorities are and they don't want to end up like you just said. Um, I had a I had a conversation actually on the podcast that was just released with Dr. Stephanie Kahn. I don't know if you know who she is. Yes, I do. I have never met her in person. I've never met her online, but we are connected on LinkedIn. I learn a lot from her. She's she's outstanding. She is phenomenal. And she talked about, and you should go check the podcast out. Okay. Especially because you're a guest on it now. You got to promise me. Uh, yeah, but, no problem. I will. <laughs> okay. So she talked about that, how she did a bunch of research and talked to a lot of veteran cops and firefighters. And she, she tells this story about a veteran firefighter. I mean, he'd been on the job for like 40 years and he didn't want to leave. I know. Uh, and because he was concerned about being, um, going from a hero to a zero his words, but yet being able to, to sacrifice relationships. He talks about going through different marriages and spending time with family. It's so common and so unfortunate. So all of that to be said that you, I mean, I I think it's very admirable that you're putting your family first. Well, well, thank you. But it, it came at a cost. It's because the first 10 years of my career, I would sign up for off-duty, even though my wife and I didn't need the extra money. I would sign up just because I really enjoyed working as a police officer. And she would say, can you just stay home this weekend? Do you have to go work at this bar till 3 in the morning and wake me up in the middle of the night? And I'd be like, oh, we're good. It's all cash. We'll be able to have fun with the money. So over the years, I was becoming the cop that I promised myself I would never become. Mm -hmm. And back in 2016, when I was working my dream job as a canine officer, I was so wrapped up in it, that job became my identity. People Mm -hmm. would say, well, what do you do? I wouldn't say, oh, I work at the such and such police department. I work as a canine officer. No, I'd be like, I am a canine officer. I wouldn't say like, I am a husband. I am a father because we had our firstborn 
he was about a year old in 2016. And, and, and my wife told me, I'm starting to have thoughts of living without you. Mm, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I have become the cop. I never, I never thought I'd be. And yeah. it really hurt. Uh, so I, so I, and, and it hurt her needless to say. So I, I made the decision to leave the canine unit, which that was a very hard decision. But, but, but when I, when I put my family first in 2020, you know, it, it, it's because there was some damage that was done before then. However, I made a promise that I would never put them second again. So when 2020 rolled around and I realized we just couldn't continue this, it, it solidified the deal and for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Well, again, good for you for making that decision because some people, um, you know, they lose, they sacrifice marriages and, you know, relationships with their kids to put their job first because they can't quite figure that out. Oh, um, absolutely. And to any police officer or first responder who, who's listening, I can tell you right now, when you leave a department, it doesn't matter how long you've been there, you're going to be able to count on one hand, if that, how many from that department follow up with you or stay in touch with you whenever you leave. They continue on. You're, it sounds it sounds kind of snarky on my end. It sounds sarcastic, but like, you're not a big deal. Like, they, they won't miss you. Mm-hmm. You'll miss the job, sure, but at least you'll have a good family to be a part of if you've worked on keeping it strong. Yeah. I mean, you can love your agency, but your agency agency is not going to love you back. It's not a person. It's not your family. So that's, that's a really good point. So just going back a little bit to your career, you, when the comment that you just made reminded me of a conversation I just had with somebody, and this is a guy who's still in law enforcement and is one of those things where he's made a realization about some of his previous behaviors, still is married to his wife. um, So everything Mm -hmm. worked out, but the story that you just talked about where you said you signed up for a part-time and you didn't even need the money because that's not the case with some people. Right. He was talking about a story where he was a reserve officer before he got on as a full-time officer and how he uh, his wife was homesick mm-hmm. and she was really sick and they had small kids and he still went into work and he didn't even need to because he was he loved the work so much. Yeah. And he looks back now and he's like, man, what an asshole I was, you know, <laughs> to, to do that. So, so that reminded right. me of that story. Um, so hopefully somebody listening, this will resonate. And maybe if, if that's them, they can, they can kind of identify that and, and maybe make a change. So thanks for saying that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would encourage them just pump the brakes, evaluate and, and prioritize your family and understand that you have a I mean, for most officers, they have a long time to go in the career. You, you don't need to do it every weekend. You don't need to do it every day. It's it's not going anywhere. That's for sure. And so my assumption is when you got into the line of work, you planned on staying there for, for a career because that's what most people sign up for. Oh, absolutely. I wanted to go up the chain, be a leader for the department. I even thought about being a chief one day. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how life will take you down a path you never thought you would ever go down. So when you did make the decision to leave your agency, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, because you're doing so many great things um, to, to help other officers. And I know you're a trainer, you're an author, and you have a YouTube channel. So could you tell us about that? I felt the calling to help other officers on a tremendous level 
back in 2020, January of 2020, I learned for the first time, after 12 years of being on the job, that more police officers were dying by suicide than actually being killed by violent people. That didn't sit well with me. And I was thinking to myself, well, all this, the PTSD, the addiction I went through, the almost divorced, I mean, all this stuff because of the stress and demands of the job that I didn't take time to mindfully fix myself. And now I'm learning about the true mental anguish that the job can actually put someone through and physical as well, because we're, you know, we're connected head to toe. And I opened up my heart so far as how I could help. And, and a thought came in my head, write a book. I was like, well, you know what? I've, I've had enough experience sitting in the psychologist's office enough. My, <laughs> I just want to save someone a copay and start writing about my experiences. So I wrote Mental Health Fight of the Heroes in Blue. And I lay out perfect, and I, and I lay out as perfectly as I can, but as simply and as practical as I can, how our brains react to the stress and demands of trauma and law enforcement. Because when you wake up in the morning, you don't innately, as a person, desire to see someone, someone who's been killed. You don't wake up and have this innate desire to see a child who's been a victim of horrific crime. That doesn't happen. So when we see that on the job, there's an adverse reaction mentally and physically. Stress hormones, negative thoughts can, can start. Uh, seeing the images over and over again and having the emotions attached with those images, you develop like this personality around it. All this kind of stuff that I had to learn researching for the book and while being in a psychologist's office. So I, I started writing the book. I created a YouTube channel talking about personal experiences, but also how police officers can take care of themselves and, and focus on their wellness and personal security. And then I also speak to as many police academies and conferences, and, and I'll hopefully soon be going up to the northern part of the country to be speaking to a department up there. Uh, yeah, I just have to make it happen because unfortunately, I mean, geez, in 2021, this year, over 120 have died by suicide. It's just, it's too much. It's awful. And those are just the ones that we know about. Absolutely. Um, and obviously, we, we both know that that's probably vastly underreported because there's, no, oh, yeah. there's no way to really know that accurate number. Right. So you, t you mentioned um, your own healing and seeing a psychologist. Was that, uh, I'm assuming, but I don't want to assume here, um, that that was a factor and why you decided to leave and, and maybe that decision to leave the job? Or was it simply because the, you know, the shift work was getting in the way of your family? It, believe it or not, it was strictly because the shift work was getting in the way of the family. Mm -hmm. uh, heck, the Monday through Friday was getting in the way of the family because both my wife were Monday through Friday and it was just too much of a hassle on us. Uh, just, mm -hmm. just hurry up, get the kids out of the house in the morning and then Get them in the get them in the evening. Hurry up, cook a dinner, and play with them for thirty minutes, and then put them to bed so we could have our evening. It it really wasn't the psychological damage that had happened because I have been one of those that never considered seeking help a weakness. I've been honest with myself. If something was bothering me, well, at least in law enforcement, if something ever bothered me, I would seek professional assistance. Or when I got to the point where my wife and I were just totally going separate ways, which we didn't want to happen, then then we seek, then we sought out a counseling. But it was when I got home from Iraq that I didn't know enough about post-traumatic stress disorder, or as I like to call it now, post-traumatic stress injury, which a lot of people are starting to call it that because you can get over an injury but not over a disorder. I'm I'm fully on board with the with the name being changed. But anyway, I got home in 2005 and 2006. My parents said, we're losing your, you and your brother. 
because my brother was over there with me. And we were having all these symptoms of PTSD. Mm. And, and, uh, and we weren't, we were reluctant to get help until they said, look, we're losing both of you. Please go get help. And after that point, yeah, I was, I was all about getting help. So I knew I could manage it and get treatment for it if, if need be, but it really was the shift work. So just really quick, going back to that, you and your brother both served in Iraq and then your parents were the ones that identified that there, there was something different about you both. Oh, absolutely. We were the ones that were thinking, well, people can't relate. Nobody can be trusted. Something's going to happen. There's a threat always around. We were the ones going through those stuck points. So we thought everyone else was the problem, not us. And that can happen and that can happen to law enforcement officers as well. So they, what them saying that to you pushed you to be able to go seek help and go see a psychologist. It sounds like. Correct. And I didn't see a like a clinical psychologist, I saw a doctor who specialized in neuro-linguistic programming. Mm, It was amazing. I mean, I had been seeing a little bit, the clinical psychologist on the campus at the university where I was attending still, but it really wasn't helping because it was one of those, well, well, talk to me about the experience and how does that make you feel? But every time I would talk about it, the feelings would just come right back up. And I was having, I, I had a flashback one time in class where I spaced out for, I don't know how long, but neurolinguistic programming, I had a two-hour appointment, and the flashbacks, the nightmares, the sweats, they decreased dramatically after that first session. It was incredible. So for those who are listening who may not be familiar, including myself, I've heard of neurolinguistic programming, NLP, but I don't really know much about it. Are you able to, to kind of quickly describe what that's like or what that is? I'll give you the give it the best I can based on my personal experience, but it pretty much is reprogramming the brain, disassociating from the event from a first person perspective, as in when an officer thinks about, when an officer has a memory about something that was bothersome to them, whether whether it's the, kind of the worst case scenario of an officer involved shooting, or like, I'll just use myself for an example, like when I saw someone for the first time who had uh, hung themselves, that bothered me a lot. Mm-hmm. So when you think about this, the things that you've seen on the job, normally it's in first person. Like mentally, you're going back to that incident. Mm-hmm. Well, there's emotions attached with that incident, and you'll feel the emotions. It's a simple concept of when you think about something happy, you feel happy. When you think about something sad, you feel sad. It's, it's like that. So when I went to neurolinguistic programming appointment, he had me... He, he told me, he said, think about yourself being in that situation, but see yourself in it. He said, step out, look at yourself in that situation right there. And then he had me attach all these emotions to how I felt. And he addressed each and every emotion. And in a way I was able to disassociate from the event. So I wasn't reliving it. Mm. It was incredible. Interesting. Okay. Yep. So is that something that you just do in one appointment or is it something that you follow up with? I'm assuming. It was a while ago, so but I'm wanting to say we had two or three appointments. Okay. But I do remember after the first one, uh, particularly the nightmares at night w- mm-hmm. were decreased a lot. Uh, I was I was amazed. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for explaining that because, you know, I, I really wasn't that familiar with, with what the process was for neuro-linguistic programming. If, uh, to anyone uh, listening, go on Amazon, get the book Mental Health Fight of the Heroes in Blue. Dr. Bodenheimer is the one who treated me. 
and he 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 has an excerpt in the book that that he and I worked on together, and he explains neurolinguistic programming. Okay, and we will definitely make sure to add that to the show notes. In addition to because you have a couple other books too. I do. Yep. Uh, Truth Beyond the Police Academy and One Hundred One Health Tips are the others. Right. Cool. Okay. They sound like they're all a little bit different. So let's, we'll talk about those too, but, okay. <laughs> but, but just, but just continuing on. So after uh, that, you, you also referenced something else in your healing journey, going to see a psychologist. Was that something further down in your career or is that what you're referring to with the neuro- neuro-linguistic programming? Pretty much just stuck with the NLP. Okay. Uh, and then uh, that my wife and I went through a little bit of counseling, but honestly, the, <laughs> look, I'm not making a broad, definite, factual statement here. This is just personal opinion. We went through the EAP, and it was a disaster. The counselor didn't even know my name or read the appointment notes from the first appointment for our second appointment. It was a disaster. Uh, so what happened was we, we just found our way through our church we were going to. Anyway, but, yeah, but uh, for the most part, ever since Iraq, uh, if I needed counseling, I would go through the uh, NLP doctor. Uh, now, recently, I went through cognitive processing therapy through the VA, which helped with the Iraq Iraq experience, but also law enforcement as well. Good. Okay. And so one thing I have to say, because I have to say it every time somebody says something and bashes on an EAP. <laughs> Because I I hear it all the time. So I just want to make a shout out for our EAP. Um, We we actually, it's, I know it's very unusual, but it's called Impact in uh, Wichita, Kansas, and they are uh, phenomenal. We have some culturally competent clinicians and uh, it's a very unusual circumstance from what I've been told. So, but but you are not the, the first person that I've heard say that about and the EAP. And I am thrilled that Impact <laughs> is there for you. I, I am. No, like I want EAP to be good, but personally, it didn't work out. Uh, so, yeah, but anyway, that's just personal experience. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I just always have to do that. But so I, I do want to ask you, though, about the VA, because I'm not really familiar with the services that they offer. Were you, can you talk to people who might be listening who are veterans that are also first responders and how, how the VA has maybe assisted you? It's assisted me. Now, I I have joked before that I need separate counseling just for the experience of going to the VA. (laughs) Now, that sounds more like it. (laughs) Right. Oh, I'm not going to tell someone what they want to hear. I'll be honest. I I mean, there's been times where they've sent me to this doctor and that doctor all when I was going in person before the virtual thing. And and I was there one time for five hours. I mean, it was ridiculous. Uh, The pharmacy line was so long that I was there for an hour. Oh, my gosh. But, but, but. I have had some success with certain treatments they've offered to me, uh, one of which was cognitive processing therapy, which I met with a psychologist every Thursday at 07, and she walked me through this 12-week program. I think it was 12 weeks, and she guided me through this program where these stuck point thoughts of, well, no one can be trusted. There's always a threat. I, I, I have to always have my gun. Now, I'm not saying I'm not complacent, but... I don't need to have my gun if I'm going to go mow the yard. Where I live, the odds are I'll be okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But stuff like that. Like I was just so hyper vigilant that there were thoughts that came with that hyper vigilance, and we were able to work our way through it and, and uh, literally write down the thought and then how I could reframe it and then mm-hmm. reprogram my mind to think about it in a, in a different way so it wasn't bogging me down so much. Okay, that's that's good to know that you were able to find a valuable resource when eventually when you worked your way through all the, you know, 
the red tape at the VA. Right. And, and the VA, you know, I mean, it, it's covered. Now, I'm not saying it's free. Nothing's free, but it, it's for veterans. You, you, you're covered. Uh, now, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's tax money, but you're, you're covered. Well, and I appreciate the fact that you're talking about so openly that you had no problem seeking help, because I still think even though I think we've come a long way in law enforcement and be, in talking about this, I still think there's a really big stigma attached. And so for somebody like you to say, hey, I had this issue, you were in the Marines, you were in law enforcement for quite a while, and this helped you. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Oh, absolutely, Wendy. And if it's embarrassing at times to admit that I went through an addiction. It's, an, it's, it's, it's embarrassing to say that I'm not as, as, as healthy as everyone thinks I am. But if me opening up about it helps one more person just go and get the assistance they need, then mission accomplished. So, so be it. I'm willing to talk about it. Yeah. And it's important for people like you that have been through it, that are still going through it. I mean, we are always still going through it. Um, that's what people need to hear so that maybe they can say, oh, well, because you're not going to ever know that one person that is hearing this podcast might say, oh, well, this guy did it. Maybe I can. Mm -hmm. So so it sounds like besides therapy and some of the, the modalities that you've used for your healing, um, you're also really into fitness and you, you've already kind of alluded to this and you've even written a book. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, there's Mental Health Fight of the Heroes in Blue, and I did talk about solutions to mentally surviving the job of law enforcement. And then there was 101 Health Tips, which it was just all solutions. I mean, I wanted to provide as many as I could, and the good old number 101 just sounded great, so I went with it. Uh, but what I didn't know and what I totally underestimated was not only is exercising good for physical health, mm -hmm. but we really underestimate as a society, in my opinion, just how much it can help your mental health as well. And I'm sure a lot of people have heard that exercise releases endorphins, which are nature's feel-good drugs, and you can actually, I mean, heck, they call it the runner's high. I mean, people get addicted to this kind of thing uh, because they enjoy the, uh, the uh, endorphins being released, but you can gain clarity and it can actually release chemicals in your body that help battle depression, that if I'm not mistaken, that some of the, the antidepressant medications it's like the same function, but except you're not taking a pill, you're exercising, doing the same thing a, a pill might do. So, and, and I firmly believe in exercise because I never wanted to be, or I mean, I still work part-time. I never want to be that police officer who can't physically perform the job when, when crap hits the fan. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, what you're saying just resonates because just the other day we were talking about this at our agency where we were in a class and how for me, I mean, I used to exercise um, purely because of what you just said. I wanted to be fit for duty, like physically mm -hmm. fit for duty. And it also had to just do with like, I wanted to fit into my uniform or my clothes or it was, it was, it was a different, it, it wasn't what it is for me now. And what, what, one of the Hang studies on. that that's okay. Go ahead. What go, go. I knew one would get away. No, that's I knew okay. one would get away. That's so funny. <laughs> All right. Sorry. <laughs> Hope you didn't, sorry. Hopefully you didn't lose your train of thought. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. All My right. husband will edit it out or maybe okay. he won't. Maybe we'll just leave it in. Right. <laughs> it's fun. It's real life. So you got sure. kids. Um, no, just the, uh, Dr. Kevin Gilmartin talks about this and so do so many others, but you were talking about depression 
he, the first time I heard this, he referenced a study where people, and, and this wasn't cops, it was just regular people. And I think it was Duke University, if I'm not mistaken. He looked at people who were taking medication for depression. And in six weeks, they were able to replace their medication because they walked on a treadmill. I think it was 22 minutes a day for about 20 or yeah, 22 minutes a day, five days a week at like a moderate rate. And they were able to replace their medication and it had everything to do with the neurotransmitters that you talked about. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely awesome. And one form of exercise that I've really enjoyed, which is because it's helped me feel more energetic for life mentally, but yet physically prevented aging in a way, uh, yoga. I, I'm a big proponent of power yoga and deep stretching you know, for the longest time, I was like, I'm too macho for this. I'm too manly for this, whatever. It's boring. I mean, it's too much of a sissy activity. <laughs> but eventually, after just at least nine years of just getting more stiff and uniform, I was like, let me give it a try. So I found uh, Sean Vig on the Internet, and he, he made it not so boring for me and more entertaining and practical. And, and I haven't looked back since. So I've been doing it for about uh, three years now. And oh, my gosh, it's amazing how I'm 38 years old, but I feel like I'm in my twenties. So you're not just trying to suck up to the podcast host because you know that the name of the show is guns and yoga, right? No, absolutely. <laughs> I am. No, I've been doing it since 2018. Well, before I knew about the podcast. <laughs> okay. I, I figured, but, but yeah, no, of course I, I was, I was almost, I was like sitting on the edge of my seat waiting to hear what you were going to say. I'm like, is he going to say yoga? <laughs> oh, absolutely. No. I, I, and I mention it in my books. I really do yeah. because why not? do something that can help you feel more loose and energetic on ship. Like why not do it? But I know some police officers, like some, I know it's like they enjoy being miserable and I don't like to see them that way. I just encourage them to make one step. It's not like you have to break out into the crow pose on your first session, but at least just raise your arms above your head before work or something and lean side to side to stretch your IT bands out. So maybe it can relieve the pain on your knees. I mean, yeah. just well, start and, somewhere. And one of the big things too, and I'm sure you know this because anybody who's practiced yoga for a little bit understands this. But when I first started doing it, like me, it's close to 15 years ago now. Um, it was all about like my type A personality, hot power yoga to lose weight after having kids. And right. then once I started to, to practice it, the breathing exercises, I didn't know this at the time, what was going on, the self-regulation techniques and tapping into my nervous system with the with the breathing, I felt I knew I felt better even afterwards. And it wasn't just the physical part of it. So there's there's so much more to practicing yoga that I don't think people understand. So it's good. I mean, people are probably used to hearing me say it because, you know, being a girl who who does yoga, who's a yoga teacher, but I love it when I hear guys talk about how how helpful yoga has been for them too. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, heck, it, it has strengthened me in ways too. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's not just stretching, it's, it's uh, athleticism. Yeah, no, definitely. And so what are some of the, if you don't mind sharing, I mean, you talk about yoga, but what, what are some of the other things in your 101 tips? You don't have to give us all of them, obviously, because we want people oh, to buy your book. Oh, I can't even book. remember all 101. <laughs> <laughs> I, I dive into 25 ways to be physically well, 25 spiritual, 25 social, so on. The first one I talk about in physical is something I learned about 
like two years ago was intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us about that. I learned that your body doesn't need as much food as we're led to believe. Mm -hmm. And when you really want to burn fat, then practice intermittent fasting. Now, I would not advise someone who really has lack of discipline or doesn't have much willpower to in their eating regimen to just start on a 24-hour fast. My gosh, you're going to gorge yourself at the end of the 24 hours if you make it that long. It's something you have to work your way up to. But I've noticed that, particularly when I was full of time in law enforcement, I would stop eating at 6 p.m. and I wouldn't eat till 10 a.m. the next day. I was sleeping better. My, and now I have no proof of this, but it just seemed like it was awfully good timing that my blood pressure was going down as well. Mm-hmm. And I was and I was burning body fat. Yeah. Intermittent fasting is great. So that's like the first thing I mentioned in the in the way of being physical. Uh, the mental part, one of the ways I, I talk about is having having a routine for yourself. Just just don't check your phone first thing when you wake up because it soaks up your time and it and your mind is real formidable when you wake up. It, you're going to check social media. You're going to check the news and it can just put you in a bad mood. And then the next thing you know, the time's gone. You didn't have time for yourself. You got to put the uniform on and go to work. And then you show up to roll call all just kind of out of it. And I also put very powerful, life-changing quotes that I've read before that have helped me in my life, and I put those in the book. Uh, and I dive into the spiritual realm, and I and I say, look, if you, if you don't want to do this Christianity thing with me, I, no judgment, but I, this is my faith, so I'm going to write about it. But you have to understand there is a spiritual side to you where you're in the, you can be affected spiritually by the job because you have the human spirit of service, or whatever your higher belief is, and that can be affected because of the job. And then social, of course, I put in there, you have to have friends outside of law enforcement. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like a given, but it's, we all say that and we all act like we know it, but it's really hard to do that. No, it is. And when you make, and when you ask a lot of cops, are are your closest friends or do you have some, a good group of friends outside of law enforcement? A lot of them don't Mm -hmm. and they'll say it, but they they won't do it. I, I fortunately stuck with that throughout the years when I, when I was in uh, active, uh, but it's very important. Absolutely. Well, and that's kind of cool that you did the, your 101 is all like all areas of wellness or resilience. It's not just 101 physical tips. Cause that's at first what I thought, what I thought it was. Oh yeah. No, it dives into every realm of wellness or everything I could possibly think of to make the number 101. <laughs> <laughs> you had to get to that 101, right? I did. <laughs> <laughs> so shifting gears just a little bit, cause this is something I really want to talk to you about because of your third book, which has to do about getting ready to be for the Academy, I think is something like that. Is that right? I wrote it in a way that it would be additional lessons that should be taught in the Academy or okay. you need to learn right after. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I knew it was something like that. So in a time when it's just uh, very unique as far as our lifetime and law enforcement, um, just what's going on in the world and how difficult it is for agencies to recruit and retain good people. Oh yeah. What do you What do you say to somebody who is considering a career in law enforcement? Um, I guess this is going to be like a multi 
there's a couple different ways I'm going to, or a couple different questions in one question. What do you say to those people first? And then second, what's the best way to get ready for a career in law enforcement? If you've made this decision, uh, how to get yourself ready and, and maintain that throughout. I make it very clear in the beginning of the third book, Truth Beyond the Police Academy, that unfortunately, it seems as if a lot of police academies are still not teaching enough on personal wellness and mental health. I, I, the state where I live, they, I, I recently, within the last year, asked a rookie to hand me his BLET manuals, and he did, or his rookie school manuals, nothing in there except one block of instruction, like eight hours long about how to stay in shape physically, what to eat right. And then there was like a little snippet about how to handle an officer who's distressed or maybe going off the deep end. That was it. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. We are literally a bigger threat to ourselves than someone who's dangerous out on the street. Statistically, we cannot get away from that. So I, I write, I write about that. I'm very honest about it. It's like, look, you might not go through, you might go through an academy where they do not talk about how to mentally take care of yourself or what you're about to see. Uh, so I kind of summarize what I wrote about mental health fight of the heroes in blue. But, but then I also go into how to set yourself up financially because we don't make a lot, mm -hmm. but yet a 21, 22 year old who, who gets out into the full, you know, full-time world. And then they're thinking, Oh man, I got, I got a paycheck. It's just me that with this money, like I'm going to go spend it. I've seen so many police officers live beyond their means. And therefore after a while, it starts to take effect on them because now they're in debt. I've heard of some going into bankruptcy before mm -hmm. and the stress of all that comes to the job with them. And then they're not focused at work, which means they might be, might hurt someone or be killed themselves or get hurt or not be focused. And, and like it could lead to a bunch of bad things. So I write about that and I, and I mainly summarize T. Harv Eker's bucket system. And if anyone has not read Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, by T.R. Vecker, I would, I would recommend every police officer get that book. And I know what they're going to think. I don't need to be a millionaire. I don't want to be a millionaire. Why are you recommending a book by a millionaire? I know it sounds intimidating. And I used to get so confused by financial advice, but this man puts it so well that anyone can live by this in a practical sense. And you can build yourself up financially so that, heck, if you play your cards right, you can retire early and don't have to go the full 20 or four th full 30. <laughs> What's uh, the name of that book? Because I want to make sure I put it in the show notes. Uh, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Okay. Harv Ecker. Okay. I've never heard of that, so I might have oh, to check that out. Oh, it's a dynamic read. I never thought I would read a book like that. But he really talks about how a lot of people think that they will have to work for their income for a very long time and then not be able to maximize life until retirement, which mm -hmm. for most is like in their 60s. So you mean to tell me we're supposed to work ourselves to death and then for the last like eight years of our life or so where we can move around good, like that's supposed to be the best time? Nah, he's not on board with that. And and he, he tells you how to shift your mindset so you can be open to learning about and dedicating yourself to applying and learning new ways to generate revenue other than just your paycheck. Yeah, because you're right. So many, so many cops are just in that mindset of, well, I mean, I have to work a part, I have to work a part-time job to be able to make ends meet, especially if they're the, the sole breadwinner. So 
it's it's good that you thought about that and it sounds like you kind of covered all the areas so if an agency doesn't you know have kind of a wellness initiative which many still don't right this sounds like a really great solution for somebody just starting out is to buy this book oh absolutely i would i would recommend it i do know a police chief in california he's got the books in the wellness library at his department so i know that it's helping some officers Good. But another thing I talk about in Truth Beyond the Police Academy is, is like teamwork. I mean, I, nowadays, considering all the negative noise around law enforcement, I really feel it's important for police officers to band together and, and stick together. Because when you're out there, you're obviously the only ones that have each other. But from my experience, the teamwork with some officers I worked with, they were more focused on what they could do individually. And I was like, no, this has to be a team effort. So I wrote about dynamics of teamwork and how to make teamwork. Heck, even something as if you work, say, every other weekend, on that weekend that you work, maybe on a Sunday night, everyone have dinner at the satellite office together. Nobody allowed on their phones and talk. Get to know each other. And, and it can also be that can also be a healing method as well for all the stress and demands of the job. Yeah, kind of like how firefighters get to hang out and eat together all the <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, every shift. <laughs> uh, but, but in all seriousness, no, that's a really good point because I think, unfortunately, I mean, I've had some really close relationships and teams throughout my career, but then I also have seen the opposite side where we can be our own worst enemies, where we treat each other so much, so much worse than is necessary. And I've never really understood that before. Oh, absolutely. Still haven't. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm and i not innocent of not gossiping or no, no, I, I have learned from my mistakes. Believe me, I've been down that road and I have. Yeah, I mean, I, I went behind a guy's back one time who was the trainer of a unit I was on. No, I, I, I get it. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I'm not perfect in this, but there's those who learn from their mistakes and then there's those who are like set in their ways. And I just encourage them to think about things differently so you can be a better for the department, which ultimately means if you have better officers and officers are working well together, that can really only benefit the public, which definitely deserves us at our best. Well, and, you know, kudos to you for just like accepting that about yourself and acknowledging that because that just shows you have a growth mindset. Like so many cops, so many people, public safety, they have this fixed mindset and they're not willing to acknowledge mistakes and then try to grow from them. So. Thanks well, for sharing that. If, if, yes, ma'am. And if, and if you read uh, The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, it, 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 he will mention that about fixed okay. versus growth. Okay. Now I really have to read that. Book oh, then. you do. You do. <laughs> I've read it four times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So if kind of going back to what I first started with, and I know we've talked about a little bit of this. So if somebody is considering a career in this with everything that's going on. Uh, and then we have obviously the whole element of like generations are a little bit different too, and how, how they're raised and what they expect and, and things like that. What, what would your advice be if you have any for somebody who wants to become a police officer? What? In my video on YouTube, should I be a cop? It's my number one video on the channel. I mean, it's almost 26,000 views now. Oh, cool. Okay. I we'll have to put that too. <laughs> yeah, it's a 10 code mindset YouTube channel anyway, but the, the number one video on that channel is should I be a cop? And the fact that so many thousands of people have been viewing it is that's a good thing. In my opinion, that means someone is interested in it. Yeah. You know, there's definitely people interested and I do get comments such as I'm in college. I look forward to 
pursuing a career in law enforcement, and I'm excited for them. Of course, I get the trolls, you know, they, whatever. But we, we, we won't give them our time or energy. But anyway, I would, as I say in that video, to anyone wanting to get into it, really understand who you are. It's not about whether you think someone thinks you should get into it. It's not about, you know, if your family was in law enforcement, you feel like you have to get into it because you just want to fit in with the family. Like, no, 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 no. Like, who are you? Are you really someone who enjoys being around people? Are you someone who doesn't want to do the same thing every day and have a perfect little routine at an, at an office? <laughs> uh, are you service-driven? As cliche as it sounds, you have to be service-driven. And then why do you want to do it? And someone will say, well, I want to be good, a service to my community. Okay, why? You have to ask yourself why more than one time to get down to the real deep reason as to why, not just that surface level stuff. So I, I, I encourage people to do that. But also, and, and I've mentioned this on my channel as well, in my opinion, nowadays, law enforcement is like real estate. And what do you hear about in real estate? Location, location, location. <laughs> there are some departments, and I'm not going to say any names, but there are some departments, particularly big city departments of cer certain ones. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to work there, but that's just me. Uh, it, it's just a it's a location thing. I, I know some departments where the officers are very busy. They don't get paid a lot, but they're still like hardcore driven because there's like a unit morale there. And then I know some that are paid a lot particularly like in a big city, but they're miserable. Mm -hmm. uh, so location, 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 definitely, definitely find out as much as you can about where you're seeking to work and how it is. And don't ask the recruiter how it is. Go on a ride along if they'll allow it. I know coronavirus uh, rules have kind of hindered that ride along thing, but don't ask just a recruiter, call a line officer, call a sergeant, ask to speak, see what their opinion is. And if they're good, they'll be honest with you. Yeah. And that's all, that's all really good advice. And so I'm going to make sure that I put that link in the show notes too, to your YouTube channel in particular, that video. And like you said, we won't acknowledge or give the, the trolls any, <laughs> any cred. <laughs> uh, so before we, before we kind of wrap everything up, um, I want to make sure that besides your books and your YouTube channel, that if anybody listening, whether they're working at an agency or they're an agency leader, they might be interested in getting a hold of you. You also come and do some training and you do some public speaking. Can you tell us a little bit about that and then all the ways that, that people can find you? Yes, I have spoken at conferences. I have spoken at police academies. I have spoken at uh, uh, not a specific department yet, uh, but, and I've done, I've, I mean, this, I fortunately have been blessed to be on numerous podcasts, mm -hmm. uh, all to help get this information out that, yeah, I teach a class on mental survival, but also mindset. Because mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that's just overlooked in policing, a person's mindset, an officer's mindset. I can teach two hours. I can teach four hours, six hours. I'm here. You can go to the Scott, thescottmedlin.com, and there's a contact form. You can get in touch with me or just comment on one of my videos with your info if, if you want to do it that way, which I would say go to my website and just use the contact form. But th there, there's a movement nationwide in my opinion for for police by police to 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 really help bring down this number of suicides PTSD the substance abuse 
but we have to become just as much aware of the internal signs, the internal risks, the internal symptoms that are going on, just as much as we're aware of external things that we have to do, such as turning your wheel all the way to the left on a traffic stop, parking a few houses down when you're responding to a domestic. Like that's instinctive, but yet it's not instinctive for police officers to think to themselves, dang, I've really been avoiding things I used to enjoy, or I really avoid going to a place at a certain time. That's like a symptom of PTSD, Mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder. So I talk about all that just to make them aware because awareness is half the battle in my opinion, because if you're aware about something and you make a commitment to be the best you can for yourself so that you can do that much better for the community you swore to protect, then you're going to get that treatment. You're going to be more healthy and take take different action steps for your health. I could go on and on, but hence why I have a class about it. <laughs> well, and and you know, it you're right, there is a movement, but I don't think there's enough we can have enough people like you um talking about this stuff because everybody's going to resonate with somebody different or they might hear it 10 times but they hear it the 11 time from you and then the light bulb goes on. Well, they're, they're, we do have more work to do. And I posted that on LinkedIn yesterday when I saw that number 123 on, on bluehealth.org where they post up the number of officers who have died by suicide. It was heartbreaking. And I was like, we, we have a lot more work to do. Yeah, agreed. In our um, in our metropolitan area, we've had three suicides in the last week and a half, and no, oh. one, no one was even aware of it. And um, it's just not something you hear enough about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it... it, it, it you're right about that. You're right about that. I, I think that they try to keep it hush-hush and or be in denial of it. That's one of the last things we can do. Because what are police officers taught? Don't be in denial that something bad can happen to you out on patrol. Well, we need to convey the same message. Don't be in denial that you could you could potentially take your own life one day. We can't be in denial. As Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman says, denial is not a state of survivability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, Scott, um, I really appreciate your time and you're obviously very enthusiastic and passionate about helping uh, first responders and, and, you know, really what you're doing is you're helping families too, because I, I recently heard a term and I really like the term hidden heroes because our family members are, you know, they are also doing this job alongside oh, yeah. with us. And so everything that we're talking about just has that ripple effect to our families too. So thank you for, for everything that you do. I appreciate you having me on the podcast, Wendy. I really do. Yeah, it was, I, I enjoyed it. And, and yeah, keep doing yoga. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, if you found value in this episode, I ask that you share, subscribe, or review. Be sure to see the links in the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. And remember, we are better together.